Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Good evening and welcome to the Sages Among Us. I'm Holly Grimaldi Flores, your host tonight and also responsible for that earlier moment of silence. I hope you all enjoyed it. My guest tonight is Eileen Mello. Eileen is an accomplished nonprofit fundraising professional with over 15 years experience. She first began her fundraising career at Claremont Graduate University. And I'm not going to read all this. We're going to talk about it instead. But here's what's important about Eileen is she was here. She left. She came back. And she is a marketing magician, but also an astrologist. And so although I brought her on here to talk about what it's like to be in Nevada County as a single woman in your 40s, trying to make a living, work, doing nonprofit work, we're going to talk about all those other things as well. Welcome, Eileen. Hi, Holly. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So we met just a little while ago when you were working for Miners Foundry. I know that you have also worked for the Center for the Arts doing development, marketing. What's that like? And I'm jumping ahead, but I'm just curious. <laughs> Is it a struggle? Is it a joy? Um, working yes. for nonprofits generally, <laughs> is that what you mean? Yes, I would say that. Yeah. In this county. In this county. Um, it, it's a, so I grew, I actually didn't grow up in Nevada County. I grew up in Elk Grove, mm. which is south of Sacramento. But when I grew up in Elk Grove, it's now just a giant strip mall that makes me want to cry when I'm there. But when I grew up there, it was even more rural than it is now. It wasn't even technically a city. It was a township. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I grew up playing on my grandpa's dairy farm. So although I didn't return to Elk Grove, I did come to a similarly rural town. And most of my fundraising career was in large cities. So either in Southern California or in the Bay Area, mostly in the Bay Area. And there is a tremendous deviation from working for nonprofits in the Bay to working for nonprofits in a rural community. Primarily just your funding is, right. is significantly different. There's a lot more wealth in larger communities. So Fundraising is generally a little bit more difficult, and there also isn't fundraising culture in this community that I found the way in the Bay Area, for example. It's just par for course. People expect to be asked for money, and they're happy to give it. Here, there's less resources as the economy goes through its ups and downs, which we've had a lot of since I've been living here. I've been here for a decade now. So I've seen it, you know, as I worked at the Center for the Arts and I was the principal fundraiser during the renovation of the theater. God and bless you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite an experience. And now you know, as we have another struggle with the economy, we're seeing that people are tightening their belts all over again. And so philanthropy falls to the back burner often. Well, and I think also here there are so many nonprofits and people really do have their favorites. So getting them to jump ship possibly or to spread that wealth, as I could see, is also a challenge. How did it become your livelihood? 
How did you, have you always been in that? Yeah. So it's kind of a joke among fundraisers. We say that um, we didn't choose fundraising. No one ever sets out to ask people for money as a profession. Um, (laughs) I worked at, um, or I was a student at Claremont Graduate University and the dean of the School of Religion, where I was getting my graduate degree, received an NEH grant, a National Endowment for the Humanities grant, a huge grant. And I was a work-study student. And she tapped me to essentially manage this program. And I had I didn't even know what NEH was, right? I had no idea about philanthropy. I, I mean, obviously, I knew what philanthropy was, but I didn't know what fundraising was or the industry of fundraising. I was all of 22 years old. My goodness. <laughs> so I managed this grant program. And at the time, I thought I was going to be a university professor. And I changed tracks. I moved back to the Bay Area. And I just started working for various universities. And I stayed in development work. So yeah, it happened to me. It happened to you. Did you have any kind of mentoring on that path? I did, primarily just from the supervisors that I had. And there was one gentleman in particular, uh, Jay Colombato, who was one of my supervisors at Cal State East Bay. And he was actually responsible for the whole rebrand of Cal State East Bay because it was previously Cal State Hayward. And the university was just going downhill fast. And he was the mastermind for essentially reinventing the marketing for the university and great influence for me. Somehow East Bay is more powerful than Hayward. <laughs> Correct. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And if you want to rebrand anything, it often starts with renaming it. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? And then, um, and I love that you have found your way here and I understand the struggle. I always say the Center for the Arts 2020 re- renovation story is my favorite, like you think it was bad for you story. <laughs> Let me tell you this story. And, the, uh, and for people who may or may not know, after so many delays and so going over what they thought they would be spending, the center opened for one show and was closed down for another year and a half, two years. We all remember what that was like. So that's why I say, my golly. Mm-hmm. I had actually resigned my position just a few months prior to COVID. And when that happened, I I remember the night the shelter-in-place order came down. I'm sure we all do. And the center had two shows that night. One, They produced one show, and then they were closed down. And I remember laughing and crying almost simultaneously because of all the effort that we had put into that. And even though I was no longer employed with the center, it was also like, and this is why, partly why I quit, because this has been this ongoing, stressful project. And it was like, of course, this is how the reopening would go. Of course, it's never going to be easy. Yes. And I know that you found your way over to the Miners Foundry, been here a little bit longer than the Center for the Arts of course, but it comes with its own challenges as well. And um, I think people, I don't know if they have their favorites, like I'm only going to go here, I'm only going to go there, but they are very two different animals. Yeah, you know, I've, as um, someone who did not grow up in this community, I did not have any particular bias toward one organization or the other when I found myself living here. And if I'm honest, I've never quite understood this kind of competition between Grass Valley and Nevada City and the center versus the Miners Foundry. And you hear people making these very strong statements one way or the other. And I frankly think it's ridiculous. We're all in one community and each nonprofit that's here, whether it's an arts or environmental nonprofit, doesn't matter. 
what the nonprofits are doing. We're all here because we want to enrich the community. And the, the, um, I mean, I guess it's just human nature, really, right. the competitive aspect of well, it. Well, I used to work for the commercial radio station in town. I love volunteering here at the, the public radio station. And this is what I always used to say. And, of course, we have the newspaper. We used to have more than one newspaper. And I would say, here, are, we're fighting over advertising dollars. Just like with philanthropy, you're fighting over, like, how much people can give. And we all want, if you have enough, certainly spread that wealth. But if you can only do one... Support your local nonprofit yes. <laughs> you know, where, where I come yes. down to. Okay, we're going to switch gears. And I am uh, chatting with Eileen Mello, who is, is, is it technically the marketing, fundraising, communications? <laughs> I'm the marketing manager <laughs> at the Miner's Foundry. But I mean, it depends on the day and what comes out of my mouth. But marketing. <laughs> right. And I'm going through an adjustment just so you know. This show has time changed a little bit. As you know, we rescheduled the last time we were supposed to be together because even though I got the memo and it was highlighted in bright yellow, six o'clock, six o'clock, six o'clock, I was on autopilot and missed it. So when I'm looking at my clock in time, I'm a little off, but it's going to be just fine. But I'm switching gears. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And this is why in getting to know Eileen, I found out that that might be her job, but her gift and what I believe could be and should be your vocation is around astrology. And I want to talk about that a little bit, especially with what's going on right now today, (laughs) this time of year. How does one become an astrologist? (laughs) Yeah, so I have been immersed in the ancient art and science of astrology since I was a tween when my mother was taken to an astrologer by my auntie, (laughs) my mom, who was teaching catechism, by the way, at the time, which is basically Catholic Catholic Bible Bible study. study, (laughs) She taught my weekly catechism class, and we went to Catholic Mass every single Sunday. And then my mom and auntie went to see an astrologer. My mom became completely obsessed and bought all of these books and started very actively studying. And I was just immersed in it for decades, literally decades. My mom... Um, pretty much, well, I said obsessed, and that's accurate. (laughs) She was obsessed. And she eventually um, went to a a university and studied astrology. She traveled all over the country and internationally studying astrology. And then when I was in my early 30s, after I had left the Bay Area, I was traveling internationally for quite some time. And at some point, this is how I wound up in Grass Valley, I came home and was broke and didn't have a job and didn't have a car. And I moved in with my mom, which was the plan. And at that point, I started formally studying astrology with her and quit, like was as voracious as she was about learning it, even though it took me 20 years before I started. And now I am a consulting astrologer. It's what I do part time. And it's definitely a talent. And also, my it's one of my professions. So yes, I'm a fundraiser and an astrologer. So let's talk about the difference between astrology and like psychic tarot, that <laughs> realm, because yes. they are not the same. They're not even almost the same. There's a, a wide chasm. And a lot of people lump them all together, which I understand because it's kind of considered the occult arts, but it's nice to start with a definition, really. So astrology is the study of the planetary cycles and how those cycles seem seemingly coincide with events on Earth and in our personal lives. And so the science comes in 
based both off of the astronomy, but also astrology is empirical, which is one of the scientific methods. So if you are actively studying astrology, then you will see over and over and over again in a very mind-boggling and mysterious way that these patterns play out. And I have no astrologer has any explanation as to why. We just see it over and over and over again. So I can't prove it. And that's why I love it, actually, because it's like, oh, my goodness, this stuff just works. But it's 100% not a belief system. There's no suspension of um, critical thinking or logic. It's not a psychic art. It's not. There is some amount of intuition being used, but hopefully we're using our intuitions throughout life because we're mammals who have gut instinct and that's what intuition is. But that's not what I'm doing when I'm sitting with a client. When I sit with a client, what I'm looking at is the person's horoscope, which is essentially a two-dimensional map of the heavens at the time of their birth. And it's just the planets. I'm not looking. People often say, ooh, the stars. It's, yes, constellations are comprised of stars, but it's actually the planets we're looking at with astrology. So I'm looking at where were the planets, what what were their alignment with one another, and how does that reflect a person's life and the cycles of energy that they will experience. And so I do not see astrology as being fatalistic or Say, for example, right now, Mercury's retrograde, which is probably what you were going to bring up. So it's like if a planet is in a certain position at a certain time, I do not think that this affects you in a fatalistic way. I believe that it's like a roadmap and it is reflecting back to you what you can expect to be experiencing in life. And so I'm going to go with my limited understanding of this because it's fascinating to me and fascinating in this way. I always go, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But I have this little niggling in the back going that it's not real and then something happens that proves it's real and then I go oh my gosh like there it is it really did happen and then I go right back to doubting again Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is like (laughs) this because I can't touch it but it proves itself over and over and over to me uh, though I know very little about it so you're born at a specific day time zip code you know long long thank you latitude Mm -hmm. and because of that placement of the planets when you came to this earth things happen kind of laid out in your life is that yeah essentially what it is is that the planets are represent different archetypes that we all experience in life and Jung actually came up with the term archetypes and Carl Jung the psychologist was actually an astrologer as were many major scientists including Galileo and Kepler the mathematician and Archetypes are essentially just themes that we experience in life that are universal to humanity. So, for example, Holly, you are a mother, you have several children, and so your experience of that archetype is different than me as a woman who does not have any children, right? We all know what it means to be a mom or to have had a mother. We all have a mom, so that archetype is obviously present in all of our lives, but how we are experiencing it is different. And so our astrology actually lays out archetypal patterns and experiences that we can expect to have. And this is 
the mystery of it because nobody really knows why Saturn is associated with responsibility and hard work and achievement and integrity and the father. But if you start studying it, you'll see that when you're having a Saturn transit, which is essentially Saturn is more present in your life at certain times than other times, that you will experience specific themes and yeah around that which is why i think the mercury retrograde is so popular because people can all go oh i can't everything bad like no 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 contracts no buying things no booking things is my understanding of it and it was for the longest time the only one i heard of and Mm -hmm. knew anything about and as you can tell i'm in infancy in this language so um i was fascinated by it because people would say of course you can't do that now mercury's in retrograde what does that even mean so What does that mean? What does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah. So let's start with what is a retrograde. And a retrograde is essentially when we're standing on planet Earth and we're looking up at the sky and we are charting the movement of the planets. Mercury, any, all of the planets go retrograde, but the planets that we can see with the naked eye, like Mercury, Venus, Mars, et cetera, will seemingly start to move backward based on the Earth's orbit. So Mercury is retrograde when he appears to be moving backward across part of the sky that he has already traveled through. Mercury is the god of communication, and in Greek and Roman mythology was the god who delivered messages between the realms from heaven to hell. And so his archetypes, uh, his planetary archetypes are similar to all of the planets have very similar archetypes to their mythical archetypes, which is, of course, part of the evolution of archetypes, right? Right, So we used to totally buy into this. Humans bought into the idea of these mythical, right? Creatures. Yes. Gods. And yes, now it's archetypes. And I'm sure in a couple hundred years, it'll be something different entirely. (laughs) But right now it's archetypes. And so Mercury as the... um, the god of communication and news, information, also how we think and perceive, how we ingest information, and then how we communicate based on our thought processes and belief systems. So when Mercury is retrograde, anytime a planet is retrograde, what an astrologer says is that those archetypes are seemingly functioning not at optimum. So things will go awry in that domain. Is that making sense? It does make sense. Also, I want to say that I did not tell Eileen we'd be talking about this, and she's totally on the spot. So talk about pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about astrology, so it's not a problem. Are all the planets yeah. male? Uh, no. No, they are not. And uh, there are female planets. And when we're talking about energies, really, the zodiac is comprised of 12 signs. And the first sign of the zodiac is Aries, which is masculine. And then the second sign is feminine. And it back and forth back through and forth. the zodiac. How do how does uh, astrology and a zodiac complement each other? Like so I had my birth chart done once and I'm an Aquarian and I have Aquarius everywhere. Like my, apparently my feet aren't supposed to be on the ground and I should not be in a monogamous relationship. Those are the two things I understand <laughs> about myself now. Yeah, even though I'm doing both of those things. Doing both. Yeah. So um what what's how how do they equate the signs versus the plants? Oh, okay. That's a great question. So I call them archetypal units. So each sign of the zodiac is um, associated with a planet and a house of the horoscope. So for example, Aries is ruled by the planet Mars and is associated with the first house of the zodiac and so on and so forth. So Aquarius 
is associated with the planet Uranus. It's ruled by Uranus, and that's the 11th house of the zodiac because it's the 11th sign. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it feels like whenever I'm looking at things, Aquarius is always near the end. Not almost never. <laughs> it is near <laughs> the end. Yes, sense. it's the 11th, and that's why. Yes, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. So this time of year, here we are on the brink of a new year. We're all, we've all hopefully survived our holidays or are still in them in some way, and we are all about to make our resolutions and have our words. How does where things are happening now look for us, generally speaking? For next, for, year. for next year. Wow, you are putting me on the spot. I'm sorry. Um, actually, I mean, we have a, a huge shift of energy happening at the end of January, which is the planet Pluto is moving into the sign of Aquarius. And Pluto, I, I know, before everybody gets all riled up, it is a dwarf planet. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and he didn't do anything wrong. I know, right? <laughs> So Pluto has an erratic orbit, which means that he moves at different speeds at different times. And he was in, he's currently in the sign of Capricorn, where he has been more or less for the last 14 years, which is a very long period of time. And he's going to be moving into Aquarius at the end of January, I think January 20th or the 24th, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he will be there for 20 years, more or less. So that's a significant shift of energy and the way different signs will be feeling this energy is going to shift. And so Aquarians, for example, in my will be getting house. a big dose of Pluto, just the way Capricorns, I am a Capricorn, uh, Capricorns like me have been getting the last 14 years. And I'm making this extremely simplistic, but astrology is exquisitely nuanced. So understand. we are boiling, distilling it down in a very generalized way. So I'm going to ask you this question, and uh, and I don't mean for it to be a plug, but it totally is. If I were interested in astrology, where would I begin? <laughs> I love this. Thank you, Holly. I'm actually going to be hosting a free 45-minute webinar. It's basically a little class that answers that question because as I've been doing events throughout the community and um, seeing more and more clients, people ask me this question all the time. I'm super into astrology, but where do I start? It's very overwhelming or confusing. And there's a lot of information. Most of it is not so fantastic. And so I'm going to be, thank you for the plug, answering that question um, on January 7th. And if you want to know more information, you can check out my website, which is EileenMello.com. EileenMello.com. Thank you for that. And and because it is, it feels a little bit daunting and overwhelming because there's so much and people seem to be studying all the time. I'm wondering in the most simple terms, if there even is a simple answer to this, why should I care? Like, how does astrology even affect me oh, in my yeah, day-to-day? Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, the reason that my clients care, this is what I hear over and over and over again. The, like, the exact same phrase is, astrology helps me understand myself better. So it really illuminates the the patterns that people experience, the individual and unique patterns that we are all experiencing. And that's what your horoscope reveals. And so a, a significant number of people who come to me feel very, very validated because I seemingly understand them better than anybody else has ever understood them in only one hour. And it's like, well, no, anybody who studies as long as I have will have this information, right? So it is really, uh, it reveals to you an aspect of your psyche that 
you haven't, we can't see ourselves clearly, right? Especially our shadows. And so astrology allows for that kind of clarity. So for somebody, of course, bringing it back to me, (laughs) sorry. Um, So somebody born like an Aquarian when I was born, how you can look at my chart and say, oh, this makes sense. You'll have a tendency to be this way. Is it that specific while still being general? Yes. What I look at, the, the difference between what I'm able to do as as a professional astrologer versus the information that you could get online or from a YouTube video is that I'm actually looking at the configuration of the planets at the time of your birth, right? And then I'm uh, integrating all of the, because it is so nuanced, I'm looking at the planetary aspects of the time of birth, where the planets were located. So I'm synthesizing a huge amount of information, which is what you don't get when you just get a computer generated report. You're getting like little bits of information, but then how do you integrate them into a complete whole? Does it matter where you're living from? You know, obviously it does. I was born in New York. Here I am in Northern California. Right. Yes, it does. Um, so when we are running a horoscope, we do want as accurate a birth time as possible. Yeah, that it makes a difference because, of course, you know, where when I'm looking up at the night sky is different what I'm seeing than if you're in Africa looking up at the night sky right now, right? Right. Makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And now living in a different place, do you find people drawn to places based on? Yeah, there's a whole line yeah. of astrology that I haven't studied. It's called astrocartography, and it's based on location. Mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it's a fascinating um, uh, practice, I think. I'm not sure what the right word for that is. But I, I just found that as I was looking at your um, history and getting to know you a little better, it's like, yeah, she does marketing and she's raising funds. <laughs> but really what she's doing, <laughs> which also I would think would be helpful. It's. In- it is, you know, it, and you asked the question to go back to your question about like, why should I care? It, it, the simple answer is you should, you will be naturally drawn to astrology and you will care if you are on a path of self-growth and self-development. And if you have any kind of spiritual practice, usually if you're not self-reflective, you probably don't care about astrology and you're not going to care about astrology. And that's totally fine because we're all on these different paths, right? So I don't even know what you asked me now, Holly. Sorry. <laughs> I was just, I, I think I've lost track of that too, but I, I'm in the in the trying to figure out like how to move from point A to point B and should I be doing this? With your career, yeah. you now have the astrology on your side. Mm-hmm. Does that help you? It does help me understanding the planetary cycles that we're under. And um, the other day, for example, we had an intense transit that was like could lead to uh, emotional confrontations, volatile emotions, anger, these types of things. And sure enough, I got an email from a client that was very upset. And I knew, like, I'm not even going to touch that today. (laughs) And the only reason I got it is because things are intense today, right? So it helps you on a day-to-day basis. And that's what I do with my weekly email that I send out to my subscribers is it's like, hey, this is what's going on this week. And it just helps you. It's like I I equate it to um, river rafting. If you know what class of rapids is coming up, then you're better able to navigate the river. Perfect. That makes perfect sense to yes. me. Yeah. So um, I, w- I see how like that knowledge base could be helping you in finding the right match for Miners Foundry, for instance, as they're coming up with their own programs and fundraising and the 
things that they have to do, Mm -hmm. which are beyond my scope. Yeah, I don't use astrology so much um, in that way because it's very intricate and takes a lot of time to be as detailed as that. I look more at what I have time to do being working two jobs, essentially, is the greater cycles of energy. So we only have a couple of minutes left, believe it or not. And I would ask, how would you, for somebody just getting into it and and um, trying to use it in their life, how, how, how do you use it? Like, okay, now I've got this knowledge. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's extremely nuanced and technical astrology, so it takes quite a long time to learn. So I always recommend that if you are interested, you start out with a consultation where you're having a professional read your horoscope for you and setting the landscape, so to speak, Um, for your personal horoscope. And then from there, you want to get a very good introductory book. And I have some recommendations on my website, but it's like there's there's so much material out there and not all of it is created equal, right? Like any discipline. And being in Nevada County, (laughs) do you find... I remember the harmonic convergence of, you know, in 1988, I think it was, or something where everybody's going to a place. Is Nevada County like a hub? Oh, yeah. We have some really amazing astrologers in this community and the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which was actually founded in Colorado, but has been here for several decades. Um, It's like the preeminent astrology magazine. And I was an editor there for uh, a period of time. But there are a lot of excellent, excellent astrologers here. A lot, like per capita, significant number. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. Well, and, you know, like as like, right? So I feel like Nevada County is kind of uh, half this and half that. And we're such a mix. So right on one side and so left on the other. And somehow we all converged here. So I just think that must be really interesting and understanding that. So I'm fascinated. I think I need to figure out where to begin. <laughs> and I'll be doing that. And um, you need a consultation, Holly. Yeah, I think I need I need more than that. I need some help. <laughs> it is uh, The Sages Among Us. You've been listening to Holly Grimaldi Flores and Eileen Mello. And we are wishing you a very... Happy end of the year, safe holidays, safe New Year's, and 2024, astrology speaking, good. It'll be better than this year. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.